You know things, I know some too. Sit right down, the fam explain them to you. If there's a thing you wanna explain, these two feminists can entertain. Nerdy stuff, sexy stuff, so much to know. Tune in for the Femsplain Show. Femsplain! <laughs> Welcome to Femsplained, Avalon. Why did you do that right when I took a big sip? <laughs> because it was fun. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to Femsplain, Diana. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. I'm extremely warm and my hair's expanding, but uh, otherwise I'm doing pretty okay. How are you doing? Pretty okay. Um, I, too, have pyramid hair. I haven't gotten a trim in a million years to try to get as many inches as possible for wedding hair, but that means that I, it's, like, shapeless and horrible, so... <laughs> that's good but it's a nice color thanks yeah I, I uh made it redder and i'm pretty happy with it and it's pretty cool i need to buy a new eyebrow pencil though because my strawberry blonde eyebrow pencil is way too late oh wow you actually do what you're supposed to do and match your eyebrows to your hair well so I naturally have like white blonde eyebrows and it looks like I don't have any eyebrows. So it actually looks really scary if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I literally have not known this. I yeah. didn't know that. I mean, I uh, don't, most of the time, I don't wear makeup very often. So most of the time my regular eyebrows are my regular eyebrows. But when I make my hair more saturated or darker at all, it becomes like very, very apparent that it doesn't look right. I think that typically the guideline is that eyebrows are meant to be a little bit darker than your hair, and mine are significantly lighter than my hair. So. Uh, the last time I read anything about this, I was in the seventh grade, and I was reading a Cosmopolitan that I stole from the library in New Jersey. Uh, and I remember that they said it's supposed to be one shade lighter than your hair color. Oh. I don't know if the rules have changed. No, but you can I've be right. lived and died by that because it was the only time I've ever read anything about beauty. I guess it depends, right? So if I think about like a Billy Piper or I think about someone blonde, their eyebrows are always a little darker. But maybe someone oh, with true. dark hair like you, it's supposed to be a little lighter. Oh, maybe. Maybe it is specific like that. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I I had um, I had an eyebrow pencil that was for, like, my hair when it's super red. And I have one that's for my hair when it's, like, my natural, like, strawberry blonde red. Uh, and I can't find my super red one. So I have to buy a new one. The, the, um, beauty, the beauty people in the world would have you believe that if you have red hair, you should use a brown pencil for your eyebrows. But, like, that's always going to look fucked up. Don't do that. There are yeah, red eyebrow pencils kill out there. They're just them. harder to find. <laughs> well, well um, I'm proud of you. Also, uh, what's Welcome to our beauty podcast. <laughs> Welcome to your eyebrow-specific advice podcast. Where I give beauty advice based only on the one time I read a Cosmopolitan when I was 13 years yep. old. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and meanwhile, I'm wearing drow makeup, so I shouldn't be giving anyone any. Wait, all right, so what is drow aesthetic? So what I have arbitrarily decided is drow aesthetic is... <laughs> yeah, tell me, 
because it's fact now. Strong brow. Mm-hmm. Either a strong lip or, a, like, an eerily nude lip. Mm-hmm. And no... Like, so nude that it looks like it blends in with your yeah. whole face. Yes. Eyeshadow is allowed sometimes, but no eyeliner or mascara is what I've decided. Okay. Because I think so that like keeps just, it a little bit creepy. It does. It makes your eyes, like, kind of sink. Yeah. When you when you do dark, like, eye makeup, but you don't do liner, it makes your eyes, like, sink into your skull a little right. bit. Yeah. That, so that's what I'm thinking. Um, I like Occasionally, that. I think it's okay maybe to do something a little weird with an eyeliner. Like, some of the drow times, I've done just a tiny bit of, like, a bright blue eyeliner, but only, like, on the bottom inner corner or, like, just something, like... That's not quite what you want it to be. I right. guess, like, maybe what you would wear if you were going to the club in the Matrix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no smoky <gasps> eyes. No. No. It's not that sexy. that kind of gets into a pretty it's... territory. Right. No. And this is creepy. We're it's aiming for creepy, creepy yeah. and, and intimidating specifically right. because mice is intimidating. You know, I think mice is, I intend mice to be intimidating, but I think I'm getting further and further away from it. I feel bad every time. Mice is not supposed mm. to be, like, mischievous and silly, and I think that's starting to happen, and I feel bad. Mischievous? I'm not getting mischievous and silly. I'm getting, like, that she's getting a little annoyed and wants to get to her her goals. Okay. Sometimes <laughs> yeah. I feel like she's, like, teasing the party members. And what would be authentic to her character would just be to be ignoring the other characters. We're talking about our D&D game that happens on alternating Tuesday nights that takes place in Neverland, where Evelyn plays Mice, a drow uh, warlock yeah. named Mice. We'll pull it back in. Sorry. Yeah. No, I just wanted to, I just realized that we went on Tandemville yeah, and we, and we haven't even started. So, yeah, the podcast is... Femsplained is a girls-only clubhouse podcast where two queer femme human beings, Avalon and Diana, talk about the stuff we like and how it pertains to being a lady person. Yep. Um, but that doesn't mean that you have to hold the same identities as us to listen to this podcast and hopefully enjoy it. It's just something that we feel empowered to do to create this space. Uh, to lend our perspectives to <laughs> that cat. <laughs> you just picked up a cat. <laughs> I just pulled a cat out of a hat like a magician. <laughs> and so that's our preamble. But I would like to say that Femsplained is really excited to announce uh, that yes. our Femsplained podcast is now sort of part of an umbrella network that Diana and I have created called... MNPC. Yes. So this is what nerd culture did for us lately. It is that we have gotten to uh, create this little umbrella network slash home base for us because Femsplained is not just a podcast anymore. Femsplained is a Twitch channel, a YouTube series, multiple different projects, and a podcast. So... Uh, we've created this umbrella network, FemNPC, which stands for Fem Nerd Production Creators, and we have created a directory of all the many other amazing fem-identified 
nerd podcast, YouTuber, Twitch streamer, creators that we've gotten to meet and connect with and are hoping to keep growing that list so that people can easily find each other and collaborate, support each other, and just people who are looking for content made by people they identify with can find that too. Yeah, I think um, we were both really excited to admit that um, Femsplained had kind of outgrown itself a little bit, and maybe sort of the idea of Femsplained as a podcast wasn't extending to sort of properly uh, capture and define some of the other creative things that we were doing together and with other um, people online. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where this goes. Uh, Diana just completed our sort of landing page website that you should go check out, and um, I think it will inform some pretty cool new uh, projects, uh, especially as it relates to D&D and Twitch, um, but also some of the other things that we do will be showing up on that site. Yeah, so it's femnpc.com, F-E-M-N-P-C.com. That's it. That's where it is. And if you know any uh, lady-driven podcasts or productions that should be on there, at us on Twitter or email us or whatever. So go check it out. Absolutely. Has Nerd Culture done anything else for you lately? You know what? Not really. Nothing I can talk about yet, anyway. Um... Is it stuff that I know about? Yes. Oh, mm-hmm. I don't know. What <laughs> 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 oh, you do, I promise. It's not anything really, but I'll I'll tell what you later. You but it's just. It? But uh, well, otherwise, on. no. It's really just our stuff that I'm really the most excited about right now, um, and I'm really excited to dive into what's happening right now too has anything else happened for you nerd culture wise gotten really into marvel ultimate lions ultimate lions yeah um and uh it's been kind of fun as part of like helping with this website and stirring up some old projects and things like that for it it's been kind of like inspirational for me for a couple of things that I um, had left behind. Oh, I'm also going to be hopefully running a campaign on our Twitch channel. Did I there you go. No, you no. didn't. Um, I think it was before we started recording. Uh, on the alternating Tuesdays that you aren't running the Neverland game, um, I'm going to be running a game in the White Wolf World of Darkness. I haven't decided which, though, yet, which like I'm, I'm waiting for people to give me a hard time about. I think I'm going to do one of the Mage second editions, but it's just been a while since I've looked at any of those books. So I'm also kind of thinking about doing a Hunter um, system. Anyway, um, so that's, uh, that's where we'll be at. It's, uh, it's supposed to be sort of, uh, dystopian apocalyptic. Uh, I don't think it's going to be quite, I don't think apocalyptic is describing it as accurately though. Um, I'd like to think of it as sort of, yeah, like 1984 meets like goblin market is like kind of what I'm looking uh, yeah, that, that description alone is what hooked me the most. Like, yeah. if you just say that, that's all I needed to hear. I keep saying apocalypse, but I think that's giving maybe people sort of a Mad Maxy or like Terminator, like you know, vision or. You know, but I yeah, think that it's not going to be. Uh, society won't have crumbled quite that much. Um, quite the opposite. I think I'm, I'm aiming for like an overstructured end of society. Cool. So I'm pretty excited about <laughs> cool. it. Um, I haven't gotten 
a ton of applications for it, but I'm really hoping that they will pick up in the near future. But yeah, so hopefully that'll be coming soon. Great. Well, I've sent in my application. And you I have, and I you do it. too. You and <laughs> one of our biggest fans. <gasps> that gulp was not pointed. At. <laughs> um, yeah, that's so exciting. Okay, amazing. Yeah, um, so I'm really excited about that. So please, if any part of you is interested in doing that, or if you know anyone or have any platforms that are good for recruiting people, I would love to get started with it fairly soon while I have a ton of free time. So if you're listening, please apply. Apply. All right. So uh, I can't tell you what this podcast is about until a man shows up and tells us what this podcast is about, you know, as is tradition. So yes. if we could get a Help man in here. Help us get this back on the rails. In a man's One minute on the man, watch and go. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, seriously, two weeks, two just Swedens. Don't get me wrong, love Avengers, great flick. And if you like that movie, you should really like try reading the comic books it's based on. I mean, oh my god, like some of the lore when you really get into it. I know a lot of people just watch the movies and that's how they get into Marvel, but if you're actually a big comic book fan like I am, ugh, it's just so much more rewarding. Anyway, Buffy. You know, listen, hey, maybe it was a great show, but it's one of those shows that you have to watch while you're in high school. It's not like you're going to sell me on Buffy now as a 31-year-old. I'm not going to binge Buffy, just like I'm not going to binge Degrassi or Dawson's Creek. There are just some shows that are a part of our high school experience that you can't really get other people on board with. For example, I'm not going to try to get any of you on board with Touched by an Angel, followed by Seventh Heaven followed by Diagnosis Murder, and then you go to bed because it's 10, and that's watching TV with mom on Sunday. And that's your Mansplain Minute. Okay. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. This is a pretty big one. This is um, kind of intimidatingly large. Yeah, it's big. It's, it's a part of our ongoing, what we've decided to do for the summer, is the Whedon Wars, because Avalon and I both love many things of Joss Whedon's work, but we agree on almost none of them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, With the exception with of the our exception opinion about Joss Whedon himself. <laughs> of Yeah, our opinion about Joss Whedon himself being more or less a little bit trash. A little is, garbagey, yeah. <laughs> a little sure. garbagey is, is pretty united, but we do like a lot of the media he puts out. Uh, last time I did my Femsplain about Dollhouse, which is my favorite Joss Whedon, controversial. Oh, uh, very. Um, and Avalon today is, well... Oh, are you trying to pass it off to me? I am trying to pass it off to you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to do Buffy, which is not controversial. No, extremely uh, non-controversial. Pretty, uh, pretty obvious, even. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to stand by... The Buffy the Vampire Slayer series being the best thing that Joss Whedon has done. Yikes. One yike from me. One yike. <laughs> One yike from me. For a series of many yikes. Yeah, Buffy is uh, a WB series that ran for seven seasons. There are 
you know, there are real ups and downs, I would say, in the quality of some of the different story arcs. Um, but as a whole, obviously, I think it's uh, incredibly solid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would think, I would say that even in its weakest seasons, it had some phenomenal episodes. Okay. Now, I only watched, I don't know, the first couple of seasons. And I oh. never got really attached to Buffy the show. I also, controversial opinion, I think the movie was better. <laughs> and I, I, I can see the rage, but... Yeah, I mean, I think that I definitely don't agree that it's better. But I do think that it is just completely different. I think that it, to me, the Buffy movie is so firmly rooted in a early 90s, late 80s, like, vibe and aesthetic. And I think that fast-forwarding even just a few years uh, for the series to be produced just lent itself to a very different vibe um, as it gained mm-hmm. distance from the 80s. It was like more Yeah, like, I think that's a really solid analysis. Like, late 90s, yeah. Um, which is more relatable to me, I think. Mm-hmm. Whereas the other thing kind of feels like a time capsule or feels like sillier in a way for that reason Mm -hmm. um i think notably also the buffy character is a lot less valley girlish in the show oh a hundred percent yes entirely different iteration of Buffy. yeah even though there is meant to be continuity Mm -hmm. there with the events happening in the movie in season one are meant to have happened to her before she transferred to a new school no kidding yeah, the only difference being is that in the show, it picks up as if all of that happened to her her freshman year of high school. Um, huh. So that oh, she I can, did. I... Yeah. Damn. So she can come in, transfer to a new, like, quote-unquote, like, small-town California school, uh, even though Sunnydale has, like, everything. It has a college when it needs to. It has a mall when it needs to. It, you know, like, um, but I guess it, it's no L.A. So the idea is that because of the events of the movie – her parents end up getting a divorce and her mom moves her to Sunnydale where she has to like acclimate to being in a small town and immediately falls in with trying to hang out with like popular people because that's who she was in LA and in the movie. But she's got so much of this sort of Batman, like nighttime life Mm. and job of fighting vampires that everyone thinks she's weird. And so she ends up like just, hanging out with nerdy people more who end up being the support characters on the show. Even though there is like an episode where she tries to go out for the cheerleading squad in the new place and stuff like that. Oh, Um, wow. I totally forgot all of that. I had no idea that they actually did make it continuous like that. And I mean, some, like some things needed to be like conveniently forgotten in order for it to work. But yeah, she shows up in this new town, hoping that she's done with all the vampire stuff. She gets a new watcher. Um, is reluctant, but, you know, obviously just sort of fake, blah, blah, blah. And her new watcher, his name is, remind me? Giles. Giles, right. Yeah, who I think is one of, like, the most consistently good characters um, across the show. Mm -hmm. But I think it just, it it also, uh, where I think it is superior to the movie is that the, the friends that she makes and the support characters that are written are actually the more compelling characters in a lot of ways or more sort of like interesting or charismatic. So I think it turns Well, I do. More... I do feel like that's the Joss Whedon special. Right. 
Yeah, I so think that's, that's the Joss Whedon special. The, it's like yeah. an ensemble cast. Very yeah. Much, so. mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, he's very good at having a great supporting cast of characters. His yeah. protagonists are always a little like, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, like, Buffy's okay, but sometimes she could just not be there. And I think all of the best lines go to everyone else, mm-hmm. especially Allison Hannigan, I think, really is phenomenal as well. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think that, honestly, it's surprising to me that you uh, aren't into it and have only seen the first couple of seasons, because I would actually think that those are the seasons you're most likely to like. <laughs> um, uh I would, well, I would the thing be surprised. Is, I watched if, them. Yeah. yeah. I watched them like when I was young, like right. on the, and like, so I had my, my interest in TV was entirely curated by my grandmother. Hmm. She loved Joss Whedon. Oh. Uh, and she loved all things like sci-fi and stuff like that. So she force fed me like Xena Mm-hmm. And like Hercules and Buffy and stuff. And for whatever reason, I don't even really remember it that well. For whatever reason, Buffy was one that just didn't stick. Uh, and I kept, you know, I kept on watching like all these others. And uh, and then Firefly happened and she mm-hmm. was like, she, you know, exploded. So like those are those are the things that I, I guess I had more given more attention to so I just I I don't remember why exactly I fell off with Buffy but I just it never stuck and then I just I don't know I haven't really revisited it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah I I mean I I think it's pretty solid the first uh I think uh that it's appeal I think it did especially in its high school years which is the first three seasons I think it um did a good job with sort of like my so-called life-esque angst romance. I don't know. Like, I feel like the romance right. that was mm-hmm. happening for the first few years was particularly engaging as, like, a preteen compared and to some of the other And Buffy things. and Angel? So, that's, so that is Buffy and Angel. Or but it's it also, okay. like, for me, um, Willow and Oz was really big, which is mm. um, Alison Hannigan and Seth Green's character. Um, oh, super strong. Right. Wow, I totally forgot yeah, about Seth, Seth Green. Seth Green was, I think, one of the best parts of the show. Uh, his character, his character arc, and it's like a huge bummer that he was around for as limited of a time as he was. Wow, I totally, I entirely forgot that. Yeah. Um, he. I loved him. So good in it. Um, yeah. So pure. Uh, and so sincerely appreciative of the things that were really great about Willow. And it was just really nice. So, and I think that at least, at least at first, uh, Xander's character was kind of interesting when there was like a will they, won't they with Willow. In hindsight, some of his friend zoning behavior about Buffy's a little bit of a bummer. Uh, it's not so bad. Uh, but it's easy to read into, I think, going yeah. back. Uh, and then I think that his character just gets more and more sort of, like, selfish and weird as the series goes on. He's the only one who doesn't get into college, and it just kind of makes him a little bit, like, a 
estranged and a little bit like of a dumped upon character and then he also acts that way and it's like a weird cycle that I don't yeah, love. Like, lean into like a really big stereotype with him. Kind of, yeah. And yeah. he just and then it's like it, in a way it's deserved that he acts sort of alienated and kind of put upon. But in a way also it just makes him into a douchebag. Mm-hmm. So Yeah. So okay, so I guess uh one of the things I want to what when what time period of your life were you in when you were watching Buffy? I know it like spans a lot of time, but yeah. still, like what's like the general I feel like I I remember watching it okay, so I had a friend who was a little bit a few years older than me that I think really liked it and recommended it. Uh and it was my friend that I really got into Sailor Moon with and I think that she saw the sort of like Buffy Angel romance as being like, oh, so romantic and you have to watch this and it's just the best. Um, mm-hmm. I know that it started in 97, which makes me feel like I was too young to actually be watching it on my own. Um, but I think I must have caught up with it fairly quickly because I do remember watching new episodes of it, at least the season where they first went to college, which would have been around 2000. Okay. Um, yeah. And then I just watched it on TV. I know that every girl I knew was obsessed with Spike. Yeah. That's, I have, a, well, that's what I remember in my head the most is that, you know, every goth girl wanted to fuck Spike. Yeah. <laughs> I still have a bit of a problem with Spike. Somebody actually auditioned for a burlesque troupe the other day with um, the one musical number that Spike does in the episode where a demon comes and makes everybody sing like they're in a musical. Once more with feeling, the yeah. best episode of anything ever written ever. Yeah, I definitely <laughs> yeah. don't think that it's that good of an episode, but a lot of people do. Uh, I think it's I just I just love it. Oh, it's super awkward. That's why I like it, though. Yeah, I, and I think that... Uh, I don't know. So, some things about it are more cringy. <laughs> we'll circle back to that. Like, enduringly awkward. Um, but yeah, so Spike is, is super problematic. That I knew. Yeah. Be- but go on, for a lot of For a lot of reasons. But I, I do remember Spike being super hot, especially when he first showed up. I remember thinking that Spike's sort of loyalty to his vampire girlfriend, who is a fascinating character, really cool character, um, named Drusilla, who's just like an insane vampire and is like talking to dolls and getting really weird. Um, and he's like his only priority for the first two seasons we see him basically are taking care of her and like getting her well and things like that. And he hates Angel so much. Right. it turns out they all have a shared history and we only get a couple of flashback episodes to when they all like first became vampires but they're really solid except for the actor who plays Angel David Boreanaz is supposed to be Irish and he's just like the worst Irish accent ever wow. um, Great. but we see, I love that we see like that these people were really intertwined when they first were turned into vampires and things like that and what's really interesting is we like at one point and I think this is when Spike was really cemented for everyone. But at one point we learned that when Spike was a human, he was actually like a huge loser that everyone was really mean to. And he was just like this big nerd and like this bumbling like Victorian man. And he was like really in love with this woman who was like mocking him all the time and he was writing her poetry and she like caught him like laughing with some other guys about it. Um, And he was just like the biggest sweetheart of all time. 
And then he ends up getting like turned by this group of vampires. And, he's and just, he like, turns into an incel nuts. idiot. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but when you kind of like first realize that this really like punk vampire guy actually has these roots and being a fucking dweebus, um, it's really endearing. And I think mm-hmm. that cemented it for a lot of people. Um, but he's just like an extremely flawed and insecure and funny and loyal character. And yeah. for being a vampire that doesn't have a soul, Angel being the only one with a soul, like he has way more humanity than any of the other vampires. Like he's the only one that wants to like eat human food sometimes. Um yeah. Oh, so his humanity score is like pretty high. Really high. With like without much explanation, yeah. really. Yeah. And so I think that I do think that that's part of what's endearing. I feel like his hotness was like and him as a romantic character was cemented by his loyalty to that crazy vampire. And I just couldn't get past his hair. It's so bad. It's like It's so bad. It's like Justin Timberlake Romany. But it's like it's almost like you can see the bleach line halfway down his forehead. I know. It's I like don't know really what it is. Bad. It's definitely it's definitely just the way he carries himself and not the way that he looks. Yeah, right. It's all personality yeah. and, and, and um, none of the yeah. And then like abruptly maybe season it's been a while. Maybe season four. Um, we abruptly learn that he has like a crush on Buffy. And like he's disturbed by it and he's really pissed off about it. Wow, it's that late? It takes a while. It happened much earlier. Oh, wow. No, okay. he's just like the bad guy for a while. And then he kind of yeah. like is no longer threatening enough to be a bad guy. And Buffy's just been like really shitting on him and beating him up. And then at one point he like wakes up from a like sex dream and is like, oh no. <laughs> 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 this person who's completely been ruining my life now, I'm completely obsessed with. And then he's a real creep about it. But I think that you're your feelings for him have already been cemented. So it's hard to start viewing them through a creepy lens. But at some point he definitely like has like a robot that looks like Buffy. That's a sex doll. <sighs> which is really. Oh, Joss. Good. Really <laughs> good. Good to know you're still Joss Whedon. Good, yeah. Good to know it's still our old boy. And then he, the, there's a really obnoxious story arc when Buffy goes to college that there's like this, secret special forces military monster fighting group that are under stationed underneath her college campus and they sort of run an they capture and run an experiment on spike where they put a, a computer chip in his brain where if he commits any violence at all it's like excruciatingly painful for him so that season really fast forwards him becoming kind of an ally character because he's not allowed to hurt people, but he's still like not good. He never has a soul or anything like that. But that's kind of like his moral compass is realigned for the audience a little bit more during that season. And that I, is horrifying. <laughs> like that is that is actually terrifying that that is not is that's just how they leave him like that. Well, they do for a while, and if I remember correctly, then that's, it's under those circumstances that he falls in love with her, because she keeps, like, showing up and beating him up, and, like, for information, and he becomes an involuntary informant for monster things that are happening, and he's so frustrated, because he can't fight back at all, and he can't hurt anybody, 
and it like turns into a weird sexual repression for him with Buffy <laughs> where she just keeps I'm... showing up and humiliating him and beating him up and then he just like keeps getting really fixated on that sexually I am freaking out <laughs> <laughs> that is insane yeah eventually anyway... like the kid breaks or something and but from then on he's like barely evil He's um, been conditioned. Yeah, yeah, he's got a Pavlovian response to being humiliated sexually and also being good. Right. So where where the spike problems begin, if we could just say that none of these are problems uh, and just things that make us have weird, like, sexual feelings for him. Sure. Um, at one point, well, Buffy the... dies. So Buffy actually does die a few times. Um, but at one point, she dies in a big way. And then at the top of the next season, her friends all reincarnate her and she comes back kind of wrong. Not just in the way that, you know, we know in stories and you bring someone back and they're a zombie and they lose their humanity and they're like a little fucked up and weird. But it turns out that they reincarnated her and brought her back like actually from like a heaven place. And so she's very resentful and is not acclimating well and doesn't want to be back. Um, and finally, like, had peace. <laughs> so she comes right. back, not evil, but, like, super bitchy um, and resentful and, like, sort of self-destructive. And in that space, in this self-destructive space that she's in, because she's been brought back when she, like, finally found peace, um, she starts actually, like, voluntarily just fucking Spike a lot. Which, what? Which creates them as one of the couples that people like look back on right. and stuff like that. However, as she begins to move past this space, there is a scene wherein their sex no longer becomes consensual. Yes. Spike rapes her. What? Are you kidding me? Which is why it's really hard to be a Spike fan because Joss Whedon, wrote this very very weird thing that feels like it should not have happened but i guess did so a lot of people people feel like they can delete it from spike's continuity because it doesn't feel like it fits right and it's just like so unnecessary yeah um so i am i am one of those people who's who struggles with what that means for spike in my continuity oh Um, my god because even after that, like, pretty much 100% of what we see from him is, like, all redemption stuff. It's all self-sacrificing. It's all being in love with her. It's all, like, doing everything he can to, like, protect her younger sister and, like, all of this stuff. Um, Holy shit. Yeah. So I have not, granted, I, I will say I have not seen that episode in, like, a really long time. So if it's more disturbing or graphic or straightforward than I'm remembering that's fine um and I apologize for that but my recollection is that it was really like oh this is weird why is this happening why not only is Joss Whedon writing the scene but why is he writing it with so many shades of gray that are just gonna make us feel like we need to second guess the protagonist in this situation um yeah and then continuing to write him as, like, a romantic character that deserves redemption because even though he never actually got a soul, he loved her so much that, like, even without a soul, he, like, learned to love. Like, is this whole, <sighs> by the very end of the series, like, that's 
kind of like where I just have at. this whole I have a problem with inventing the existence of a soul mm-hmm. which is like a this is another Joss Whedon trope where he like forces this idea of a soul on us but never defines it ever so like in Dollhouse he does it too where like there's there's some soul, but it winds up just being like a super ego. It just winds up being like e- your brain's chemistry. Yeah. But ill-defined. But he still assigns it like romantic properties. Mm-hmm. And this, like if this character, Spike, does not have a soul, as is the common idea of one, then how is anything that he's doing outside of, like, a mechanical, like, goal-oriented process? Yeah. It's weird. I mean, he's the only... So he's the only one that has, Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, has so much humanity, even without a soul. And for some reason, that makes him, like, even more special than someone like Angel, who is, like, irrevocably evil without a soul. For Angel, a soul is literally just a conscience right so it's almost like i guess this idea of morality with faith imposed on it versus morality in like an atheist space like coming to that on your own (sighs) without the repercussions maybe is more significant than somebody who literally is just doing it because they're feeling tortured by consequences otherwise okay but it doesn't seem well that would make sense to me but it doesn't seem like that's the way it's being sold or is you know it, yeah it, I don't know I mean I don't know if it's even being sold I think it's just there. <laughs> um I think maybe potentially that's just like my trying to interpret it because I, yeah. I don't really feel like they they speak as overtly about whatever the fuck Spike's situation is as they should because no other vampires are out there doing anything but just like being driven by hunger or power or right addiction to making people afraid i guess it's weird writing because he wrote he wrote this as a vampire story that is taking place in a universe where like some sort of supposed christianity exists as the like because because there's like heaven hell souls as some sort of power source holy water but other than that the only sort of, like, spirituality that comes into it is very pagan. Right. And there's, like, the the original, like, the true source power, like, of good and of evil. But it is very analogous to, at least it's very analogous to hell. Like, that part's explored a lot. I think it's only mm-hmm. when she comes back from, like, a heaven place that we get any kind of, like, God-related acknowledgement. Um... And that just kind of seems like a, a warm and fuzzy place, not so much like right. a, a higher being. Okay, so they so they like get around that by like making it about the places, the destinations, yeah. and not the deities that run them. Okay, yeah. I mean, if you if you start to pantheon angel, you start to get a little bit more of that. I think that other than that, the closest we get is like later in life, Willow becomes like the strongest witch of all time. Um, and that starts to tap into a little bit, like, of a circle of, like, the feminine power, oneness, creator energy. So 
So that starts to kind of happen at one point. Okay, Which doesn't cool. fit into Christianity very well, but I, I feel like that's the most overt source of, like, good power balance. Yeah. Okay. So, so I guess I'm, like, I'm really curious. I guess I, I get a little fixated on the, 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 the aspect of writing a vampire story with, like, tying religion into it. Mm-hmm. Because if you lean into the Christianity aspect you have to essentially, like, decide, do vampires lose their soul and therefore, like, lose their humanity forever? Mm-hmm. Or are they just becoming, like, you know, some new type of creature? The first one. If in this verse, don't, hands down, in the this, first one. If you don't include Christianity in your vampire fiction, you're kind of more free to create like gray areas of vampires yeah where there's like a scale of morality yeah just like with humans but in this it's kind of like it's almost across the board except with this spike character who has like kind of both of those situations going where he has a scaled morality Mm -hmm. and then also he can't be because he has no soul right yeah so I mean I, that's I, why I, he's the most romantic character, right? Is that there isn't like right. an explanation for it. He's just like a fucking snowflake. Right. Right. He's special. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's really hard. It's it's a really hard um sort of cognitive dissonance that you have yeah. seven seasons with somebody. Or I guess you have six because he's not in the first season, if I remember correctly. And then there's one goddamn episode that feels really weird, followed by the show not, like, condemning the character and continuing to, like, rub it in your face that, like, he is good, he is good. He's just a vampire, like, what? Give him him a break. Um, Yeah. And, like, you're all in love with Angel, and he's, like, so much fucking worse. He's done so much worse. (laughs) Angel's done worse? Well, yeah, when he didn't have the soul. Wow. Wow. Angel's, like, really bad. Angel, like, as a vampire, before getting a soul, his whole thing was that he just, like, fucking psychologically tortured people to the point of insanity and raped them and killed everyone they ever knew just to, like, fuck them up as much as possible. And he's the one with the soul. Okay, Well, and so that's pre-soul. So he was cursed with the soul by, I believe, a Romani (laughs) elder (laughs) um and his curse specifically which then becomes kind of problematic is that he will always have a soul and he will lose his soul if he experiences ever a single moment of pure happiness so he lives with all of the guilt and memory of everything that he's done compelled to help fight evil knowing that he cannot in any way pursue any kind of happiness or feeling better in any way, or his soul will be lost, and he knows that he'll be responsible for even more morally reprehensible actions. All right. Well, I know that you're not Joss Whedon, but I have questions because <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> because if we already have the example, do they ever address the fact that we have an example on the show of a character who has no soul as a vampire? who changes his moral actions and behaviors. 
No, because and that happens way after Angel leaves the show. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. He's on his own show for quite a few seasons. I thought that they coexisted for a lot longer. No, they really only coexisted for a little while. They coexisted a little bit while Angel was good and Angel was trying to help fight them. And then Angel does get, uh, loses his soul again. And he joins back up with like the vampires, including Spike uh, and Spike's girlfriend. And Spike hates him so much because he starts fucking Spike's girlfriend. <laughs> Um, and like putting him down all the time. And then, yeah, Angel gets his soul back and Angel's like, I can't be here anymore. I have to go move to another city and be on a different show now. Cause I'm just going to keep losing my soul because I'm just going to keep experiencing true happiness if I am in a relationship with Buffy. Ew. Which brings me to the problem that I have. Gross. <laughs> what is the problem? So Angel loses his soul when he experiences a moment of true happiness, when he fucks 16-year-old Buffy. <gasps> yep. And, wow. Okay. And it's very romantic, right? It's like there's they they make love and it's pure happiness. Ah. It's great. Ah. Um, and then he mm-hmm. turns completely evil and she's like, "Why? I don't understand." Ah. But then when we when Angel is on his own show, we learn that it's actually just whenever he fucks anybody that it's pure happiness and he loses his soul. And he's Experiencing pure happiness seems to just be coming, um, which I don't love, <laughs> like because it really changes the whole narrative. Yeah. Well, I guess if you've never, if you've gone that long without experiencing true happiness, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah. If you've gone a long time, yeah, maybe it feels similar. To true happiness. <laughs> but yeah, I'm guessing that he fucks a lot on Angel. It like, if I remember correctly, there's like at least two times with two different people that it's like a problem that Angel had sex with them because that means his soul is gone. And it's like, was that all it was all along? It was just sex. It was, yeah. it was it's just very different. It feels very different in terms of curses. If it's really just like a sex curse. Yeah. The ain't the yeah the vampires don't want him to fuck yeah yeah and okay. also like for the person who right. put the curse on him like just, they just put damage it... control like I I understand cursing him with the guilt of everything he's ever done but the thing that gets him out of jail in terms of his guilt is just like if he ever has sex like that seems unwise it just seems also like like more of like a dom situation like a chastity belt situation like a like <laughs> you can't have sex or you're gonna lose you're gonna your be soul evil and fucking kill people don't do it uh-huh. don't yeah. do it but do it yeah. just for so a little bit you do and it then... because you're in love with high schoolers so what can you do yeah so so, that's... Mm-hmm. so those two vampires always hate each other quite a bit yeah so, okay, so who, all right, I have two questions. So who would, who would be your favorite is my first one, like, of, of the whole cast. Like, who do you think is the best character overall? I think it's Spike. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also, in terms of characters that aren't there quite as often as some of the others, 
I'm a big fan of Seth Green's character. I'm a really big mm. fan of Eliza Dushku's character. Yes. And I would say Willow, but honestly, like, her, like, dark season and also her queer story arc, I just don't, I just don't love. Josh can, Joss can be a little pedantic and not pedantic, con- like, I don't know, condescending yeah. with queer stories. Yeah. yeah. It's not his best. Her girlfriend is, like, the least interesting character I've, like, that's ever been on TV. And as much as I would like to be excited that Willow ended up being gay, like, Tara was just, like, a human mannequin who was always confused and not funny. And I don't know. And I just, like, I don't know. I just wish, I wish that I could be a bigger fan of that. That relationship. No, I, I I remember being more of a fan that it happened, not of yeah. it. Yeah, Tara was just rough, and I think that's a big problem yeah. I have once with once more with feeling is that Tara sings for a long ass time, and I do not care. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I think those are the for me those are probably the best characters. Uh, early and- Willow, I like. Yeah, oh, right, in the with the Seth Green era. Yeah, honestly, like, right around the time that she got into magic and was gay, like, she just, I didn't like her as much, and that seems like the opposite of what reality should be, but I just don't think she was written very well after that. Interesting. I would have to, I would, I have to go and watch more of that. And again, I guess um, maybe I would feel totally different, potentially, if I rewatched it, but that's maybe. where it lost me. That's, that's what homework's for. Uh, so my other question is then what, like, did you have in, in a lot of your episodes, you usually have like a, a significance to the things that you loved based on like the time period and, and who you were friends with and like what you were creating online and mm. I'm wondering if there's a correlation with something Buffy wise in that like what were you what were you what time of your life was this Buffy was contemporary I think with Sailor Moon time and onwards but I it was never like I was never involved in any kind of fandom with it which seems weird it was just like a TV show that felt mainstream enough that I didn't need to be closeted nerdy about it. Um, but I also never really had people I could talk to about it. When my dad watched it, I watched it with my dad <laughs> a lot. Um, so it really was more like friends to me than... Yeah, this um, was more mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was just like a show that I liked that seemed like a normal thing to like. Um, did not occur to me that people were um, like obsessed with it in a nerdy way or that it was more of a part of nerd culture um i think i tended to associate nerdy things with having to be animated to be honest with you um live action made it seem like it must not be that weird yeah um, wow i don't know why um but yeah and like it was kind of the same with like i would watch charmed every week but i and like i would maybe ask one of my friends like if they had seen it or what they thought about something with it. But I think if anything, Buffy, I just associate with like starting to have like weird sexual awakening feelings 
And it was probably yeah. because of what I'm now realizing were all of these weird, latent, like, celibacy, dom energy things. That were <laughs> well, I mean, it, it, it like really seems like it probably played on weird teenage yeah. sex drives and shame and confusion because even the adult characters in the show were having weird repercussions for sexual expression and somehow like good and evil was like really tied in with it in a weird way. And, right. Like, you lose like, your soul if you have sex level. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, I just think that I probably started having, like, weird daydreams about, like, supernatural creature gangbangs because of this show. Speaking of which, I think you should lead us into some games of Fuck, Mary Kill. Okay. A.K.A. Spoon, Fork, Knife. Well, you, I don't know how I mean, you can do it, though. Well, if I don't know them, I'll Google them. All right. All right, so Fuck, Mary Kill... We didn't even talk about Riley, um, but Angel Riley Spike is the big one. Riley was Buffy's boyfriend for, like, too long, but he was a muggle post-Angel that she was with. Oh, I know this actor. Uh, okay. Um, He's the fucking worst. He's one of those army guys underneath her college. So it's Buffy, it's Buff. Uh, sorry, it's Angel, Riley, Riley and, Spike. and Spike. Okay, kill Angel, fuck Riley, marry Spike. All right. What about you? Um, I'm going to say fuck Angel, despite consequences, marry Spike, and kill Riley. Nice. Um, I like that. <laughs> God, there's so many. My brain keeps going to really obscure places. Okay. Fuck, marry, kill, Buffy, Faith. And Kendra, who are the three slayers. Oh, wait, Kendra, hang on. I don't remember Kendra. Not, Kendra is not a memorable part of the show for a lot of people. But oh, each okay. of them is a Thank slayer. Thank you. Oh, 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 okay. Um, fuck Kendra, marry Faith, kill Buffy. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Oh, I just lost it. Okay, fuck Mary, kill Giles. Mm hmm. If you don't put Xander on one of these lists, I I don't know what to do with you. I will eventually, but I hold on. I just, fuck Mary Kill, Giles, Oz, and Wesley. Oh, oh, okay. I know that actor. Uh all right, just based on the actors, because two out of the three of these I don't know their characters that well. I'm gonna kill Wesley. Okay. I am Going to... Oz versus Giles is really hard. Yeah, that's really difficult. Yeah, fuck Wesley for sure. I think... I think fuck Giles and marry Oz. Okay. How do you feel about that? I think that's fine. Yeah, it's hard. It really could go either yeah, way. T- yeah. But right. the consensus is to fuck... Or to Wesley. kill Wesley, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, to kill Wesley. Okay, so we'll do a Scooby's edition. Oh, wow. We could do so many of these. Let's do Willow, Xander, Cordelia. Cordelia is like the vapid cheerleader character that bullies Buffy at first, but then sort of becomes one of them slowly. Wow. This is the, this is like a really hard one. I think, oh God, I think I 
kill Cordelia, fuck Xander, marry Willow. I would say fuck Cordelia, marry Willow, kill Xander. Kill Xander? Yeah. I just, I loved Xander. That was a, that was a big crush of mine. Does he? Yeah. yeah, he was he was a crush of mine in the first couple of seasons. Oh, for sure, same. Yeah. Um, um, okay, fuck Mary Kill. Mm-hmm. Drusilla, which is Spike's crazy mm-hmm. girlfriend. Anya, which is the former vengeance demon that Xander then dates for a really long time, and is very quirky. And Darla, who's the vampire that originally turned angel and is constantly trying to tempt him to be evil. Right. Drusilla, Darla, what's the other one? Uh, Drusilla, Darla, and Anya. Jesus. Wow, this is a extremely difficult. I will kill Drusilla, fuck Darla, marry Anya. Yeah, I mean, I think that's yeah. a hard one. I think marrying Anya, hands down. Yes. Whether we are fucking or killing Drusilla or Darla, I don't know. That's tough. It's tough. Yeah. I think that Drusilla is like fucking like might be really weird in a good way sexually or weird in a bad way (laughs) it's really hard to tell yeah well like also that like i i that whole like just the description of like how spike was like codependently trying to like fix her made me feel like that's that's gonna be bad for me no matter what. Like I can't yeah. fuck that or I'll I'll get trapped in that too. Yeah. I'll wind I'll be like, oh yeah, we're just gonna fuck one time and then I'm like, oh no. Yeah. I'm trapped in a in a, a downward spiral. <laughs> so I mean, so Drusilla is yeah. really interesting because she's got like kind of a premonition y sight going on. Mm-hmm. Um Ugh. and was tortured it's bad for relationships by Angel and that's part of like a little bit of wigginess. But also he's taking care of her because she is genuinely, like, sick because she got caught by a mob and almost killed. Just saying. No, I'm, I, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying that she's tragic. a compelling character. Very compelling. Whereas Darla's not really um, compelling. True. But maybe I will be less <laughs> of a shit. Very fair. Very fair. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. All right. Well, well, I barely talked about anything. No, you did. All right. So if you had to give your pitch, your 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 elevator pitch about why Buffy is the winning Joss Whedon, to win in the Joss Whedon Wars, mm-hmm. give me your elevator pitch for why it's the best. It is the best because it was the only show that was good enough that it was allowed to run to a natural completion. <laughs> And potentially even renewed too many times past a See? good completion because it was a good show. <laughs> and is that, well, you know what? We'll, we'll argue about that in the comments about why that's contradictory. <laughs> but. <laughs> How is that but, contradictory? No, just, just, no, no, you're fine. Well, I'm genuinely curious. I, I mean, I can the, see how that's a, a, a weak argument. I just don't. I just think. I just think that, you know, if it's been renewed too much, oh, did it actually come to a natural completion or was it extended with like an iron lung past its prime and forced to live? I will say a all doomed of the, life. Yeah. Of all the things in our Whedon Wars, I think that this will be the only one that 
did some pretty serious shark jumping, which is not something I talked about. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> it may have committed the greatest shark jump of all time. Uh, Can you briefly say what that is? Yeah. Um, in season, I think, five or six, for absolutely no reason, everyone in Buffy's life, except for Buffy, woke up remembering that Buffy had a younger sister who had never existed previously throughout the entire series. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> and mm-hmm. she's the fucking worst. It's Michelle Trachtenberg and she yeah. runs the show into the ground. From then on, Buffy's number one priority for no reason has to be getting a bratty teenager out of trouble, which has so far, like we have as an audience, zero connection or loyalty to Yep. It's the worst. Good job. Good job. <laughs> I just, yeah, I think I just made your argument for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, and uh, so this is Femsplained. Where can you find Femsplained, Avalon? Um, you can find Femsplained everywhere. There are weird ringing sound effects in the background. Yeah. And also on Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, and presumably, if there are other places that podcasts are consumed, give us a heads up and you can find us there, too. Uh, yeah, that's where you can listen to us. But where can you, like, interact with us? You can interact with us at Femsplain Podcast on Instagram, at FemNPC on Twitter, FemNPC on Twitch. You can... It's terrifying me. Uh, <laughs> You can find Femsplain Podcast on Facebook, but most notably, I would suggest that you go to femnpc.com, check out the directory of cool-ass ladies and fem-identified folks who are creating awesome nerd content, and let us know if there are people we've missed, and also submit, connect, and join the Discord channel. Nice. Um, Yeah, and you can check out the things that Diana and I are doing both collectively and independently aside from this podcast on that website as well. Um, That's now my burlesque landing page, and that is Diana's Adventurers Wanted GM for Hire landing page. So there's a lot of other really cool things to check out there uh, and support the two of us, in addition to all of these other cool people that Diana talked about. (laughs) Um, well yeah make sure you uh, if you're interested in playing in my um, 1984 Goblin Market campaign please apply Goblin Market I can't wait okay yeah I'm so excited about that we will see you soon well we will not we will will talk to you we'll never see you again we'll never see you again (laughs) 